You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, so good to be here with you today. So for those of you who are visiting with us, welcome to Kingsway. We are in a series studying the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. It's the first book of the Bible. But we're going through the book of Genesis through the outline of a different book of the Bible called Hebrews 11. And that may be confusing for you. So I'm only telling you that that because we're doing a lot of one, two, skip a few. And you may ask yourself, like, why in the world are we covering that character but not this other character? It's because Hebrews 11 tells us to. So what we're going to begin today is, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Matt Nickerson. I've been at Kingsway now for, I'm coming up on my 13th anniversary. Pretty cool, pretty exciting, yeah. And uh, I just this week celebrated my 23rd anniversary to my wife. And, wait, 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 you can clap for me in a second. I'm excited too. And my 46th birthday on Friday. I don't know why anybody would say that out loud publicly. And uh, the reason I say that is my wife will often text my mom and she'll say to her, my mom's name is Linda. She'll say, Linda, I don't know what to do with your son, but I blame you because he was your kid. And my mom texted my wife this on my birthday and said, it's official, he's your problem because he's now been with you longer than he was with me. So, and that's super, super funny and super, if you know me, and super, super relevant because of this little picture right here, right? You've heard this analogy before, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You may not see this plethora of apples that are kind of falling and rotten from the tree, right? That's an old analogy we've all heard before. I have three little boys and I love them, but they are all like me in one way or another. One of my boys has my identical uh, humor to my wife's chagrin. He loves to make one-liner jokes. He gets it when I make a joke and nobody else laughs. He's laughing with me on the other side of the room. Another one of my sons has my very competitive nature to him. In fact, just yesterday, we were making up a game in our kitchen and we were playing it. And then one of the other brothers wanted to get involved. And then he and I kept playing while the other brother was eating a snack. And uh, things just started to escalate a little bit as we're both coming up new strategies to try to win. And I was like, buddy, we just need to stop. And he's like, no, 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 I promise I won't escalate. I'm like, it's not just you. I want to win really, really bad. And I love you. And I don't just want to like, you know, smash you. And one of my other sons, uh, he may or may not have ADHD. I, I don't know for sure, but I do know that he is a lot like me. And the other day, my, he's talking to my wife and mid-sentence, he goes, oh, look, mom, a squirrel. And anybody who's been at Kingsway for any length of time knows that that may or may not sound like your sermon today. So I say that because my kids are so much like me, and I don't know how to explain it. Because one of mine is adopted. I don't know how to explain it. Is it DNA? Is it nature versus nurture? I just know that they are so much like me, and they're so much like their mom. And that could be a really good thing, or it could be a really bad thing. Because there's other ways that they're like me that I'm not sharing that I'm not quite so proud of what I see in them. The stark reality for all of us is we are likely to turn out like our parents. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> You're like, welcome to Kingsway. <laughs> now, would you just stick with me for a minute? Because that's actually where we have to go today. So here's the thing about this year is going through the book of Genesis. 
We did a series this summer called Rhythm. We went through the book of Psalms. and Each Psalm can stand by itself. You didn't have to be here the week after or the week before. It's totally irrelevant. For this series, we're kind of doing this thing like, you ever watch certain TV shows? And you can watch any episode and enjoy it, but if you really want to get the most out of it, you've got to follow the growth of those characters over seasons. This series is going to be like that. You're going to get more out of this if you go back and listen to the previous weeks and you stick around for the next few weeks because you're going to see the big arc of what God is doing and the lives of different characters. Now, if you're only here one Sunday, no big deal. You'll still get something out of it, but you'll get more in the big story. And I have to try to go back and connect dots for you to help it make sense. So that's what we're going to do before we get to Enoch today. Uh, Again, if you've never heard of Enoch, don't worry about it. We'll get there in a second. But what we've seen so far is God created everything. He made Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it started this trajectory of sin happening in the world. And that's super relevant for today because last week we left off at Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel. And it answered this question, how much effect would sin really have on the earth? Well, what happens is at the end of the Cain story, we see this continued pattern through Cain's line of continued further degradation and sin and just trajectory away from God. But we see through another line, so after Abel is killed by Cain, God replaces Abel to Adam and Eve with another son. His name is Seth. And we see Seth's family kind of progress forward in the righteousness and following of God. And we see almost this tale of two sons set up in the book of Genesis, which is really important even for where we're going next week, which is why I have to tell you all of that this week. Let's take a look. In Genesis chapter 4, We see this real quick. So at the end of the Cain story, what God does is he disciplines Cain for murdering Abel, and Cain is afraid. He's like, if you do to me what you're saying you'll do to me, what will other people do to me as a result of what I've done? And God says to Cain, I will take care of you, but this is still going to happen. Take a look. Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, that's to Cain, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, we don't know exactly what the mark on Cain is. People have come up with all kinds of weird theories and evil theories to justify all kinds of evil like racism and other things. We have no idea what the mark is that God put on Cain. But there's some sort of mark that God put on Cain so that nobody could kill Cain, but Cain would still have to live with the discipline of the Lord. But see, when you read that, you ought to read that with a lot of mercy, because what could God have done to Cain? He could have destroyed him. But God chose not to destroy Cain because of his evil of murdering Abel. Instead, he chose to show him mercy. But this little thing I want you to hang on to here is whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. That's God saying that. So Cain, I will protect you. I will make sure. And if anybody does this to you, don't worry, I'll get them. And that's important because it's just a few verses later, we go through a couple generations. The book of Genesis is not answering all our questions. It's like, oh, and then so-and-so, and and then so-and-so, and and then so-and-so. We get five generations later, and we run into his great, 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 I don't know how many greats there is, grandson, Lamech. And here's what we learn about Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. And when you read the book of Genesis, you go, why is all this stuff in there? Okay, it's a history book. Oh man, just stop and think for a second, okay? Just stop for a second. So think about this. Great, 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 five great grandfathers, kills a man, he's the first person to ever commit murder. 
And five generations later, we see a pattern of sin. We see the great, 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 great grandson murder again. And not only murder, but he's added to murder multiple wives. It's been said, and I don't have time to deal with this right now, but you know, the, the Old Testament has plenty of stories of heroes of the faith with more than one wife. David had more than one wife. Solomon had more, more than one wife. So why is it not acceptable besides the fact that your wife said no? Besides that, why is it biblically not acceptable? What changed that in the New Testament it became so clear that in one man and one woman for life? Why? Well, we see here the very first person ever to have two wives he is so evil in his heart. Multiple wives appears in the story and we're told about it, but it is never celebrated, it is never promoted, and in fact, it shows you just how dark this man is. He has two wives and he's sitting here saying, I've even killed a man for just wounding me. I got in a fight with a man, you know, he punched me in the face. Instead of just punching him back, you know, back, back, back when I was a kid, I was telling my son this the other day, you know, something might happen on the basketball court. Some, you know, you go to, go to blows, you knock each other out, whatever, you punch each other. Two guys, you know, guys break it up after it's clear who the winner is, and that's the end of it. Nowadays, people pull out a gun, and they shoot you. They go get their buddy with some knives, and they come stab you. And that's how things end today. I was telling my son, like, just be careful. If things start to escalate, just walk away, because he has a problem walking away with me. I'm like, son, I'll, I'll pulverize you. But <laughs> I'm warning him. I'm just kidding. But the reason it's important is it shows the heart of this. This is not a celebration of multiple wives. This is showing you this is what happens when you allow yourselves not to follow the pattern of God. And notice this, in Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. You hear the arrogance of that. God promised Cain he'd protect him. Lamech is saying, I don't need God to protect me. I'll protect myself. And notice the number he uses, 77 times. You may remember a story that Jesus says. Jesus says, if someone comes to you and seeks forgiveness, you are to forgive them. And Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, that sounds really hard, Jesus. How many times should I forgive the same person? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times. And we don't know which he meant because the translations are different. He either said 77 times or 70 times seven times. But if he said 77 times, Jesus never says anything on accident. It's quite possible he's looking at this and saying, see, Lamech believes what his way of life ought to be is revenge. I want you to live lives of forgiveness. And that's a huge setup because what we're seeing now is this tale of two families. You see the family of Cain taking off and getting further and further and darker and darker. Revenge and vengeance and murder and adultery is the way that they're going to go. But then there's another family line, and they're going to progress towards God. Because here's the reality. The stark reality for all of us is we are likely to turn out like our parents. But there's a big but here. But we don't have to. We don't have to. You actually have a choice in the matter. I remember when I was a little boy <clears throat> and my dad made me take out the garbage. Now, he'd been working all day and then the next day, I believe it was Saturday and he got up and went golfing in the morning and then he came home and he made me turn off cartoons and go take out the garbage. And while I was mad that he was making me take out the garbage, I said to myself, when I grow up, I'm not gonna make my kids just do the jobs for me. 
And guess, guess what my kids do now? <laughs> they take out the garbage. Because see, when you're a little kid, you do not understand all the lessons, the principles, and the things that go into being an adult and how the world does work and should work. I was wrong. But there are plenty of things also when I was a kid, I was like, hey, when I become a parent, when I become an adult, I'm not going to do those things. And let me just tell you, those are the things that are really hard for me today as an adult. I struggle with some of them. You know why? Because it's the pattern that I was shown over and over and over again. But I still have a choice. Nobody ever stole my choice. I can choose to become just like my parents, or I could choose to become just the opposite. And maybe that's not the only two choices, but we'll get to that in a moment. Let me just share a passage with you. Years ago, this, this baffled me. As I was a young man, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I was just literally teaching a lesson for a, a class at a small church that I was working at part-time many years ago. And I remember because I'd just come across this passage in my quiet time with God, and it just hit me hard. Let me set it up before I show it to you. It's in Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel is one of those really hard books to understand. So I wouldn't recommend you go home and just read the whole book without some guidance, but Ezekiel 18 is really powerful. Here's what's going on. God warned Israel for years. In fact, he told them before he planned them as a nation, if you follow me, I'll bless you. If you don't follow me, I'll curse you. So all the blessings that are promised to you will be yours if you just follow me. And he gave them a pattern. If you mess up, you fess up, and here's how we fix it, through the sacrificial system. But if you continuously turn away from me, then I will remove my blessings from you. And what happened is Israel did great for a season, and then they fell away. And God did exactly what he said he would do. He kept his word. Imagine that. He's a good God. He always does what he says he will do. But before he disciplined them, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and he warned them, and he cautioned them, and he said, turn back to me, turn back to me. It's not going to go well if you don't. And they continued to go away from God. Now, the way that looked is they literally chased after false gods of other nations. And you may think to yourself, well, that's good. I've never worshipped a false god. I've never turned away from God himself. But see, the way that they would do that is through various sin struggles. All of these false gods were the god of something, the god of work or the god of pleasure or the god of money or the god of weather. So let's say you're a farmer and you have animals, so you worship the god of the cattle because you need a good crop. Or you worship the god of rain because right now the crops aren't doing good and you need the rains to fall. Or perhaps you're lonely and you're a farmer, so you start worshiping the goddess of whatever. And next thing you know, all of these daily needs or daily joys or daily pleasures led Israel away to worship the false gods of the many nations. And God sent prophets to warn them for decades, decades, and they wouldn't listen. So finally he said, okay, and he sent in some other nations. He basically removed his protection, said, I'm not going to stop them from coming in. And he allowed these other nations to come in and ransack Israel. And the people were now carried off into what we call exile. And in Ezekiel 18, what's happening is the generation, so let's say my kids now, are suffering in exile because of my choices. And they're crying out to God, and they're like, this doesn't seem fair. Our parents are the ones who messed up, but we're suffering for it. And in Ezekiel 18, God comes to clear his name. And here's what he says. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. And the one who sins is the one who will die. So the first thing he's laying out is, here's the framework. I will hold each person accountable 
for their own choices. Then he goes on and he gives an exhaustive illustration for the rest of 18. And he repeats the pattern over and over and over. Here's the pattern. I'll show it to you once, but here's the pattern. If a righteous man follows me, I'll bless him. And if he has a son and that son chooses to follow me, I'll bless him. But if that son becomes evil, I'll hold him accountable. And if that unrighteous son has a righteous son and he follows me, I'll take away the curses. I'll start blessing again. And if that righteous son has an unrighteous son, I'll do the same thing again. And he does it, literally repeats himself. So there's no misunderstanding how many generations go by. The whole point is I will take care of and bless those who seek after me. Here's one, here's one just telling of it, right? He says, uh, suppose there's a righteous man who does what is just and right. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. But then he immediately goes on and he says, suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things, though the father has done none of them. He eats at the mountain shrines. He defiles his neighbor's wife. He oppresses the poor and the needy. He commits robbery. He does not return what he took in pledge. He looks to the idols. He does detestable things. He lends at interest and takes a profit. Will such a man live? He will not. Because he has done all these detestable things, he is to be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. So the biblical pattern is, even though we are bound to become just like our parents, we don't have to. Each person has a choice. And this causes great heartache. Because wherever you are in this room, you may be visiting Kingsway first time, third time, fifth time. But there's that little voice in the back of your head that says, but you know what? I'm not sure my parents believe, and I don't know if they'll accept me if I don't. We see this a lot. When, um, when a loved one passes away and the spouse left behind is struggling because they meet God, they meet some Christians in that death and they're struggling with, Ugh, if I follow God and the scriptures are true and I give my life to him, what if I go to heaven and my spouse that didn't know him doesn't? Will I spend eternity separated from them? What God is trying to weigh for all of us, and I know this is a heavy message, but he's trying to weigh, do you love me above everything else? Because if you love me above everything else, I will take care of you. I will meet all of your needs. And each person, each generation, each spouse, each child, each parent, we each have a choice to make. Will I follow after and love God? No matter how hard it gets, and no matter who goes with me. Now, stark reality for all of us is we are likely to turn out like our parents. But that could be a good thing, too. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. I grew up in the generation where we love the story, the turnaround story, the comeback story. Maybe every generation is the same way, right? The reason we love home makeover edition kind of shows, I was from my yeah, like my younger years, right? The reason we love HGTV is like we take this terrible thing and it's falling apart and we turn it around and isn't it great? And when I was growing up, I remember uh, sitting in a science class and the teacher brought in her son who ended up addicted to drugs, strung out really on cocaine and he turned his life around. I just remember he had these like crystal blue eyes and as he sat and talked to us about his addiction and I was listening to his story, I was so enthralled with the turnaround perspective. And I remember when I became a parent thinking, I don't want my kids to have that testimony. I want my kids to have the most boring testimony ever. I want it to go something like this. I was raised in an amazing home. I had amazing parents, especially my dad. He was pretty sweet. <laughs> I mean, mom, you know. 
I, I had a relationship with God. I was taken to church. I believed in God at a young age. I was faithful to my father. I never fell away. I never went through a seat of struggle. Even in my seasons of doubt, I always knew God was with me and for me. That's the testimony I want my kids to have. And there's nothing wrong with that testimony. And there's nothing wrong with the testimony that says, man, I fell away as long as I come back. Right? So I don't know where you are, but it's okay to have great parents who produce great kids. It's just that every parent has to realize your kids have a choice. And it's okay for parents who don't know God, for their kids to say, you know what? I'm gonna choose a different path. And that's hard because you have to unpack a whole generation of habits that you were handed that weren't from God. And it's okay for a parent to say, even if my kids turn away from the Lord, I will still follow, which is happening a lot in America right now, but don't lose your faith over it. And see, all of that is a setup to this character we see today, because we only have like five verses about this character, but Genesis is setting up these two families. You've got Cain's family, and you've got Seth's family. And Jesus is gonna come through this line, Seth's line. Eventually, you track it all the way down the road, and we get all the way back to Seth, back to Adam. We don't get all the way back to Cain, back to Adam. And there's something to be said there for godly parents who keep following the Lord. Take a look at today's text. You're like, today's text, we're like 20 minutes in. Don't worry, we're okay. Ooh, watch out for that. Genesis chapter four, verse 26 says this. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. See, that's a transition at the end of chapter four where we see Cain kill Abel. We see Lamech killing people and threatening and having multiple wives. But chapter four ends with this transitional phrase. And because of all the evil that's starting to go rampant on the earth, people start to call on the name of the Lord. We get into chapter five, and what we get is a progressive family account of so-and-so, the son, the son of so-and-so, had so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so lived so many years. And here's the consistent thing that's said throughout chapter five, and he died. So-and-so lived so many years, and he died. So-and-so this lived this many years, and he died. So-and-so lived this many years, and he died. Some people call Genesis chapter five the and he died chapter. And the reason that's important is because if you remember all the way back to Genesis chapter three, two chapters ago, all the way back, but we're now looking at probably thousands of years, at least hundreds and hundreds of years. And the reason that's important is because when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, now you will surely die. And chapter five is signaling to you theologically, God is a man of his word and everything he said will come true. And so even though this person lived hundreds of years, he died. And then even though this person lived hundreds of years, he died. And then we get to this passage, Genesis 5, 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And that's it. That's all that Genesis says about Enoch. But there are some really big takeaways we could take from this little section of scripture. Like, first of all, it appears Enoch lived 65 years before he developed a relationship with God. He lived 65 years, he became a dad, and then he walked faithfully with God 300 years. Now, we can't know for certainty that's the reason why it's written that way, but it reads that way. It reads as if the author is letting you know that once Enoch had a son, he started getting serious about his faith. And we see this as a church on a regular basis. Some of you are living this. Perhaps you had your wild season, right? Maybe it was in your late teens or 20s. 
Then you got kids and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I, I better start being responsible. I better stop buying toys and cars and clothes and I better start getting serious because I wanna leave a legacy for my generation. And then you start asking, what did my parents do to leave a legacy in me? And then you, in a good way, start to try to modern those same patterns. And it reads like that's probably what Enoch was doing. Whatever exactly was happening in Enoch's life, it doesn't appear that he took his face super serious until he has Methuselah, but then all of a sudden, he gets really serious and he starts to walk with God. The word walk is not an accent either. Go all the way back to the garden. If you remember, it says God came down in the cool of the day and he walked with Adam and he walked with Eve. And when he shows up that next time and they're hiding in the bushes, the whole point is apparently in this season of history of the world, God would often come down and dwell somehow. Now, we don't know if, if Enoch actually walked along with God or if it was just like a prayer walk. I love doing this. I love to take time in my life where sometimes, I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I'll be on the golf course. I'll go out by myself when nobody else is around and I'll just put in my AirPods, I'll put on a couple devotions and I'll just talk to God. And sometimes my conversation sounds angry because I'm not hitting the ball well and sometimes it sounds nice, but sometimes I do it at the park and I'm walking along the stream. Sometimes I go to the mountains and I literally talk out loud. And if you ever stumble upon me, you will see me and think I'm a crazy man. But in my mind, I'm walking with God. He's there with me, listening, taking my prayers, hearing from me, directing me. It's amazing how many times in these conversations God brings us a passage to mind or one of your names and I just start praying for you. Sometimes you'll randomly get a text from me or, or an email later and I go, hey, God, just put your name on my heart. You doing okay? Is everything all right? I can't always explain it. I don't always know if it's him or it's me, but I just know I'm walking with him. And see that? That is available to all of us. And the powerful thing about this is Enoch walked with God faithfully and then God just said, hey, you wanna come home? And Enoch said, yeah, I do. And I wonder what was that like for his wife? As far as we could tell, it wasn't like God said, hey, Enoch, go back and tell your wife that you're just gonna go ahead and come home. God just took Enoch. He just walked and then immediately walked up into heaven. That's crazy, isn't it? I used to say in talking about death, you know, right now 100% of people die, but the truth is that's not true. <laughs> There's been two people that we know of in history who never died. Enoch's one of them and Elijah's the other one. It went right up into heaven. I think, man, what, what a cool relationship with God. If God's like, hey, you see how evil things are getting on the earth? I do, I do. Would you like to get out of it? I would. All right, come on. Hebrews talks about this, Hebrews 11. It says in verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. What would it be like? I saw this thing on Facebook. You know those like predictive texts? I don't know if you've ever seen this. Where it's like start this sentence and then just take the predictive text in your phone and fill in the blank. And the predictive text this time was about your epitaph, you know, what they put on your headstone. And it started with your name, here lies Matt Nickerson, for he, and then you just start predictive texting. And mine said something like, here lies Matt Nickerson, for he was confused. And he asked a lot of questions, laugh out loud. <laughs> I thought, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> But you ever thought like, what will it be on your epitaph or what will it be when you pass away? What will it be that people will say about you? 
And what they said about Enoch was he was commended as one who pleased God. And who commended him? God. Can God say that about you? The very next verse in Hebrews 11 is so powerful. It's one of the best verses in the entire Bible. It says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. I want you to think about that for a minute. Nobody pleases God based off what they do. Everybody pleases God if they have faith in God. And there's no other way to please God apart from faith. It is without faith that it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's break that down for a second. So number one, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you have faith? What does it mean to have faith? It means to trust, to believe. Jesus says, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. So the reason that our trees become good is because by faith, we seek to live for God. In fact, you could literally say, to have faith means to believe God exists. That's like the beginning point. That's exactly what Hebrews says in 11.6. So if I'm going to please God, I must have faith that God is real. He's up there. We could add to this many, many Bible passages that would clarify the picture a little bit. Like, there was only one way to get back to God, and that's through Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes back to the Father except through him. That means no other religion, no other God, no other prophet, no other path, no other way can get you back to God. It can please God only through the name of Jesus. So to have faith means to believe that God is real and he's out there and he sent his son to communicate to all of us who he is and what he's like and what he wants to do through you in the world. But that's not all that faith is. James says that even the demons believe that God exists and they shudder. They shudder when they hear his name. They quiver in fear because of him. But are they saved? Of course not. So apparently, believing is different than faith because faith requires action that backs up my belief. Does that make sense? That I'm actually living in a way that reveals my heart. That's why it goes on next. It says, to have faith means to live your life according to all he has revealed about himself. He literally says he rewards those who seek him. And that brings us to a hard question. Are we seeking God? Look at your life for a minute. Do your kids, if you have them, do they see the pattern of the ways that you're seeking God? Can they follow that pattern? Are sports more important than church to you? I know that's a hard question to ask. Is your entertainment, more money spent on your entertainment than on God and his kingdom? How are others, when they look at you, do they see you being merciful and kind and forgiving and loving? Or do they see you being angry and harsh and rude or crude or crass? When others look at you, do they see in you 
the way that you act and the way that you live, and it's different. Because from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, there is this tension in the scriptures between what we believe and what we act. And we are never saved by how we act, but how we act is a revelation of what we believe. We are saved by our faith, but our actions reveal our faith. So let us be a people. Let us be a people who believe in God, that he exists that he is good and he is faithful and that he rewards those who seek him. And let, let us live our lives to reveal that truth. Just consider for a moment, just a few verses. I originally had so many more. I had like 10 of these and I was like, I gotta cut them down because it'll just get repetitive. But I just took three verses. I just want you to see these three verses to say the same thing in a different way. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 28, 5. Evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. And then my favorite, Acts chapter 17, verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. The context of this very passage is Paul saying to a group of people, did you know that God has determined the exact times and the places for you? He's actually put you in your town, in your community, in your job. God has done that. And the reason that he did that is so you would find him. So that somehow in each of our lives, God has surrounded us with people who are intended to lead us to himself. So think about that for a minute. What if you aren't where you are on accident? What if God is pursuing you and all he's saying is you will find me when you seek me? All you gotta do is look and I will make myself known to you. So I don't know where you are. I know this message lands in a lot of different places. Listen, if you're somebody who needs to create a new pattern and not follow in the pattern of your parents, why not today? Why not today start a new trajectory and say, you know what? I'm gonna start a new trajectory. And maybe you're a kid who's fallen away and your parents gave you a great example to follow, but you've not followed it. Why not today say, you know what? It's time for me to find the old roads. It's time for me to go back to the old ways, what my parents revealed to me. Listen, if you need help, we're here to help you. Maybe today somebody's out there and just saying, I need Jesus. I don't even know what this means, but I know I need Jesus. As Andy said earlier, next week, we're gonna make a strong call for anybody listening to respond to Jesus and be united with him in baptism. And we're gonna end our service with people who are responding in baptism. Maybe you need to think about it this week and next week you need to respond. What I wanna do is I'm gonna ask everybody in here to stand with me. I'm gonna pray over us and then we're just gonna sing and invite God into our stories and ask God to help build our lives that we could be men and women who walk in the pattern of Enoch. You ready? Let's pray. God, I just wanna ask right now that you would move in this place. I know this message lands all over the place. I don't know exactly where it's landing with each person. But God, would you today help reveal to us ways that we need to let go of our past, let go of the things that are holding us back from you and move forward in faith with you. God, if there's major changes we need to make, then help us to make those changes. But God, there's some in this room, that's not their story, it's the exact opposite. They have walked away from the pattern their parents gave them and now God, they're sensing your call to come back, come back home, leave the wandering life. And God, I pray right here, right now, they would make a decision to go with you. 
And God, whatever we are, God, may we be a people who seek you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And may we find you in our hour, God, of distress, that we would find you to be a good and faithful father. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.